0: we're a management company, but we're more of an HR business. I mean, think about it. You've got a thousand people, right? A thousand miles to feed a thousand personalities. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a tremendous effort to make the dream come true per se on every single property, whether it's a value add property, a stabilized cash flowing deal, um, or a brand new lease up, you know, it takes a lot of work. It was sometimes little reward, right? But again, Being in the management business can sometimes feel like a thankless job, right?
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers
0: and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy
1: of creating something from nothing. Today on the show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Max Reinbach III. Now, Max currently serves as Vice President, Client Services at Roscoe Property Management, or RPM, a full-service multifamily management company based in Austin, Texas, and they are actually the property management company on our portfolio at Wildhorn Capital. He is responsible for all the business development efforts related to the third-party fee management platform, and prior to joining RPM, Max served as Vice President of Stream Realty's multifamily division. And he's also worked with both Cypress Realty Advisors and Apartment Realty Advisors. Prior to that, for several years, Max was a marketing principal at Graystar Real Estate Management. So he comes to this show with a massive amount of wealth and knowledge in the property management industry and space. And I'm really pumped to have him on the show today to share his incredible insight and knowledge. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Max. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, Reid. Thanks for having me, buddy. Um, great to see you too. And, and great to Uh, be a part of this wonderful uh, podcast. Uh, You know, I'm really happy that you were able to come on the show and and share your experience. And for those people, the listeners listening out there today, Max has been quite influential in bringing our company, or Andrew, my business partner at Wildhorn Capital, over to Roscoe. And uh, before we get into that, Max, um, do you want to rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up on a small east texas town and outside of
0: town on a farm um and looking back you know i've got a young child now an almost 17 month old little boy max the fourth um and i think about kids growing up that had allowances or they did chores and got you know paid a nickel a day or a couple bucks you know whatever it is right but they had they had spending money and Looking back on it, I never truly earned a dollar um, growing up. I mean, from the ages of, I don't know, when you're doing chores, what is it, at seven uh, before you can get a real job at like 15 or 16. But uh, jokingly enough, looking back, and I talk to my dad about this all the time, I worked for dinner, right, (laughs) growing up, and I worked for the sports teams. and, and, And what I mean is, you know, I made the mistake and I jokingly say that I made the mistake to tell my dad when I was probably 11 years old that I wanted to help maintain the farm, right? It was 60 acres. We probably had 30 head of beef mess or cattle. Uh, we had a horse. We had three big pastures, two bass ponds, catfish ponds, that sort of thing. And And the big problem with that is my dad worked in the oil and gas business and he was drilling wells all over Texas. And so, he was gone a bunch, right? And so, when I took the leap and told him that, you know, I wanted to help him, he kind of said, all right, great. Here's the keys to the tractor. Here's the keys to the lawnmower. This is what you need to do. <laughs> I'll see you next week. You know? So for five hours, uh, every Saturday growing up, basically, you know, more so during the, you know, spring and summertime, I was, I was mowing the pastures, you know, keeping a very meticulous eye on, you know, how high the grass was growing at the bottom of the, the barbed wire fence. Um, and, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I was younger, my buddies are all at the swimming pool at the country club in our small East Texas town or riding their BMX bikes and doing cool stuff, you know, 11 and 12 year old kids do. And I was in the very far pasture with a, uh, one of our weed eaters and it was a steel, <laughs> super heavy weed eater, probably bigger than I was, definitely weighed half of what I did. And it was probably 100 degrees, Texas heat and, you know, 3 or 4 p.m. I remember I was so upset that I was doing that and not playing with my buddies. And I sat down and I started crying. Right. And I remember I got up and I threw that weed eater as far as I could, probably went three feet. Right. But, um, I sat down again and I was so upset and I was like, well, shit, I'm still at the very far back pasture. And the only way I'm going to get home is I got to walk this thing back. So I picked the damn weed eater back up and weeded it the entire way back and finished the job that I was supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, the life lessons that just the, Hard work and 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 earning and, and understanding what it means to maintain and complete a mission or a task or something like that, I think has carried me throughout, you know, just my personal life and and into my career and and my decision
1: making. That's awesome. No, I think it's really powerful as a kid. And I didn't grow up on 60 acres, but I grew up on 20 acres and uh, we had horses and, you know, mowing the lawns and all that sort of stuff and getting on the weed whacker underneath the fence because the, the lawnmower or the, the, the slasher, as we used to call it, didn't get underneath the fence. But those types of morals that you build within yourself. And I remember always working with my dad alongside of him, and like, you know, we, we finished the job together, if that makes sense. Like, not one person knocks off early. And uh, I do remember having that responsibility early on as a kid, you know, 13, 14, 15 living a little bit out of town uh, from where I grew up and not easily accessible to my mates and stuff. And uh, yeah, but it, it definitely builds a callus on your sort of knees and hands that you know how to grind, right? And I think that's yep. the most important thing coming out of those those sort of early life, childhood life lessons. So, so well done. But mate- walk us through the journey because obviously you've come from the farming land. You have that background and, and knowing you personally, I know you're still very much a country boy. So how'd you make it into the big smoke and, and into property management?
0: Sure. Well, so I moved to Austin in 2003 uh, when I graduated high school to come down to the University of Texas at Austin. Um, and I really fell in love with the city. I mean, it was completely different than what I grew up with, right? There was one movie theater in our town and in Austin, there's hundreds, right? And there's you know, multiple one-way streets here that I really didn't know how to navigate. And so it was one of those kind of overwhelming experiences. But I, as I got to know new people and, and uh, you know, joined a fraternity and had all my business classes at UT and all that good stuff, it just, I kind of told myself, hey, I'm going to live here forever, right? Or at least I'm going to try the, my damnedest to stay in Austin once I graduate from uh, UT. Um, and so I, I, when I graduated in, I guess, May of 2007, I was fortunate enough to have had, um, a job offer, uh, at, you know, at, I guess the Christmas or winter holiday, um, you know, the, the you know, right before the end of my year, right. The right, last right, spring yep. semester. So I went home for Christmas. Um, I'd gotten a job offer or shortly thereafter. And so I knew that I was going to be working and staying in Austin and, um, I'd interned, um, uh, at a company called commercial Texas at the later years of my college career. And it's just as a runner and a, you know, commercial Texas is, is now um, uh, purchased by Avis and Young, but um, you know, one of the guys that I worked with there had encouraged me. I didn't go, went in for an interview at Cypress Real Estate Advisors, which was two blocks down, um, and a gentleman in my office had encouraged me. You know, because I hadn't gotten a follow up and I hadn't heard from, him, and encouraged me to walk down the street uh, to where their office was and, and ask for the guy I interviewed with and said, "Hey, remember me? I met with you two weeks ago. I haven't heard from me. I want that job." The next day I got that offer letter uh, and so I was stoked to be able to um, stay in Austin. So Cypress private equity group, they they, they now have evolved and, and um, developed on their own account. They have their own management company. But so I joined as a financial analyst. I really touched everything. I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? But as an analyst, you you learn and you sit around the, the folks that know and there, there's a ton of smart people that work there then and now and um, I navigated the way through, you know, uh, actually, they owned apartment complexes. They owned a lot of raw land. They they had land that they had um, planned developments on. You know, fast forward 2010, or I guess really 2008, 2009. You know, as everyone is aware, um, if they've been around for the past ten years, that you know <laughs> the world kind of fell apart, right, from a financial side of things. And um, I experienced my first layoff, um, and I told Tim Clark, who's one of the founder, one of the two brothers at Cypress, you know that. I'd been waiting on him. It was April of 2010 when he finally let me go. And I said, look, Tim, I've been waiting on you to let me go. Thank you for keeping me on so long, but just to let you know, I found the end of the internet. Like there's nothing else I can do to, to, to spend my time here. Um, so it was really grateful for uh, he and uh, Steve um, to keep me on that long. And um, you know, fast forward. I, I thought about going to grad school um, at UT, getting my MBA and, um, and in the meantime, I was studying, well, I started studying for the GMAT. I was working for uh, Yeti coolers actually, and their warehouse, a friend of mine, Cameron Hart, got me a, a job in the warehouse, 14 bucks an hour doing quality control, um, studying for the GMAT, that sort of thing. I, I'm awful at taking tests. Right. Um, and I found a job, um, with the secondary markets team at apartment realty advisors, which is down Newmark Knight night. Frank, um, Jeff Patterson, and his team had hired me over there. Um, to be their analyst. Right. And so it got me back into real estate as I call it. Right. Or, you know, I was in a warehouse. Right. But I got back into the real estate business um, after having kind of a a blow, you know, getting laid off. You're 25 years old. You know, you think the world's over. Mm -hmm. Um, But I got back into the game per se. And I was with them for about nine months. um, And, you know, we underwrote probably 25,000 units. Nothing was selling at that time. Right. I I really Mm -hmm. figured out that being an analyst and being behind a computer screen all day long is not something for me. Mm -hmm. Right. I I think, you know, breed, you know me, but I just, I I feel like I I do better talking to people, whether it's existing relationships or new relationships, you know, that's how I thrive. And the, what I'm getting to, you know, at about month nine, it was May of 2011. I got a call from uh, Derek Brown at Graystar. He's the central Austin or at the time, I, I think he's still involved heavily in the central Austin development side of things, but for Graystar, his wife actually was an accountant at Cyprus and I'd met Derek at a Christmas party, one of Cyprus's Christmas parties. And he must've either thought I was a nice guy or had the, had the, what it took to, to sell a management service. And long story short, I interviewed for a position at Graystar um, in Austin uh, to fill a gap that they had there and got the job. And, and that's what I really call, you know, where I've started my career, right? Mm. Had a lot of training, had a lot of just time in the trenches um, learning the you know, learning the business and learning the modeling side of things and understanding the metrics of the multifamily side of the commercial real estate uh, industry. Um, but now I got to kind of use twofold, right? Talking to people, selling something, um, creating relationships. Um, and I was fortunate to really get my training there and, and understanding how it really worked, right? And Greatstar then probably had. I don't know, 150,000 units under management, right? And they're such a a whale of the industry, right, Um, now. Um, And so, you know, I was there for about three years, really wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. Um, And Jeff Patterson, my old boss from ARA, um, decided to break away uh, before the Newmark acquisition of ARA um, because he wanted to do senior housing development. So he calls me and says, hey, do you want to come to Stream? Uh, I'm going to do development. My other partners are going to do investment sales. I want you to do management. I was like, sure. Um, I remember thinking I'm not 30. I'm not married. I don't have any children. Why not? You know, what, what am I, what do I have to lose? Right. Um, so we went over there and took a stab at it all. And, and I was there for about two and a half years. And um, I got a, my cell phone rang one day. Um, and it was Angeli Goodenough um, and Jason Berkowitz. Jason Berkowitz is the president of Roscoe uh, property management and Angelique is the EVP executive vice president. She called me and said, Hey, this is Angelique. Good enough. How are you? And I was like, kind of like, good. How are you doing? (laughs) You know? Um, and long story short, got courted and, and, and ended up uh, taking a chance on them and they took a chance on me. And, um, you know, I think if I wouldn't have ever taken a leap of, you know, Hey, I'm not 30, don't have any children, that sort of thing. Um, to go try something different, the, the, the opportunity that presented itself and, you know, call it October, November of 2016 would have potentially never happened. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. Um, and so I joined with them, uh, late December in Roscoe, uh, joined Roscoe late December of 2016. Um, and we had roughly let's say 10, 12,000 units under management. Um, as a third party, right? Uh, third part, just a third party management business was roughly 10, 12,000 units under management. Right. Um, and fast forward to today, it's July 10th, 2020. Um, we have roughly 40,000 units under management. Wow. So it's been a uh, tremendous, um, growth run so far. Right. Um, and, 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 and a tremendous group of people to work with and, and, uh, really an entrepreneurial group that really has unlocked my entrepreneurial spirit, right. To kind of let me have my own bandwidth and figure out, you know, Hey, you run business development for this company. How does that look? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I don't know. Let me figure it out type thing. Right. Right, So while I'm not the pure owner of the company, right. I feel very empowered to, to make business decisions for the betterment of the firm. And so, um, long winded 20 minute (laughs) answer probably, but, um, you know, this is where we are today. And, and, um, Going to be happier with what we've done over the past three, four years and excited for what's to come.
1: Well, I think it really has a good uh, example of how someone coming out of uni, coming out of school has a bit of a knock through through the market conditions changing, but picking yourself back up and going into those more entrepreneurial roles. And I remember when I was still in the corporate world, I always actually, I dabbled a little bit in the big corporate stuff, but actually I really enjoyed being a big fish in a small pond and and joining those smaller teams because you could flap your wings a little bit more. Now it was maybe not as big a salary or whatever, but you're you're able to be at the helm and direct the ship to where this is going towards the North Star. So um, I think it's really admirable of you to jump and make the career change and keep, you know, moving from pillar to pillar to further your experience and your expertise, but also getting a taste of that entrepreneurial ways of starting businesses and growing them from from the scratch, because that's what Roscoe was, right? It really was. Um, and for those people who don't know, Roscoe Property Management was an in-house um, PM firm for FMB Capital, which is uh, another multifamily acquisition company. So I guess, at what stage did you guys decide to bring in third party? And, and was that was that pre your time or is that post your time?
0: Yeah, so I'll kind of give you a little bit of history here. So Jason Berkowitz um, started Roscoe uh, Properties and we've re-branded, re, re, we rebranded, call it 18 months ago, to RPM, Roscoe Property Management. But Jason started Roscoe Properties in 2002. Um, he had, when he was a senior at UT, I think he graduated 2001 maybe, but he had bought a duplex and renovated it and leased it and and decided that, hey, this is pretty fun, you know, to, to be in the real estate game. And I call it a Cinderella story. I'm sure, you know, whatever the right term is, I don't know, but I think it's pretty appropriate. He, he flipped two to four and then a fourplex to an eightplex and yep. eight to 16 and then started syndicating some you know, friends and family to buy some 50 unit projects that turned into hundred unit projects. And, and really Roscoe properties was, that was this business. Um, and funny story. And, and, uh, he went to go collect his first rent check from one of his first residents. And, and, um, they said, well, who, who do we make the checkout to? And he was like, Hmm, I don't know. He had his dog with him, so he goes make it out to Roscoe. His dog's name was Roscoe, <laughs> uh, and so that that really stuck. And and so he, as as he started to acquire larger properties, um, and he will tell you, to the you know he did not follow his mentors' advice to to not manage his own properties. Um, he said, look he determined that that was his passion. Uh, he'll tell you, you know, in anyone he's got a sickness and it's called multifamily management. He (laughs) thinks about it, dreams about it, stays awake about it. It's just his passion. Um, and so while he was growing his own, owned portfolio, um, other groups in town said, Hey, we take a look at ours. Um, and that was, that was probably not until maybe eight, nine, 2010 maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and then along the way, he met uh, Hank Farrell, uh, which is the F and F&B Capital. So that kind of subsidiary sp- spun off and it started as Roscoe, but then they separated it. And But you know, for the listeners out there, um, any potential clients, Roscoe Properties as a company does not own, <laughs> Roscoe Property Management does not own any
1: multifamily
0: um, assets. We're pure third party, but we do, we do manage for F&B Capital.
1: It's a good snapshot of how people evolve, one, one in terms of Pivoting because you have to, uh, you know, falling into managing your own duplex and triplex and just keeps rolling on from that. But also, you know, with other firms, they, they start to see that the property management is profitable and they want to, you know, hire someone like yourself. And that's where you've gone out and you've really helped grow that from, as you said, 10,000 units to now 40,000 units under management in it with Roscoe Properties, which is, you know, not a small feat whatsoever. So I, I guess that. The reason why I want, I want to now segue into the, the nuts and bolts of what we got you on the show today for, which is to talk about multifamily best practices and, and what you're seeing in the market. Um, before we do, I just want to quickly talk a little bit about how you courted us because we went through at, at Wildhorn a really um, – A transition, you know, and we're new to the industry. We had only been a couple of years into it at that stage. I think we only had five properties or four properties. Um, And I remember Andrew telling me about this guy Max, and I was like, "Who the hell's Max?" You know, keeps keeps pestering me to come and I'm going to get your I'm going to get your business one day. I'm going to get your business one day. I'm going to get your business one day. And sure enough, we we come to a point where we needed to make a transition, and and for us, it was more to do with. We need, and I always use this analogy, we needed the BMW with the seat warmers. Like we were cruising around in a 1990 Toyota, nothing wrong with it, gets you from A to B, but it just wasn't that extra that we needed for as we were looking to grow. And I think that's where where you guys stepped in and it was just a natural fit. We interviewed a couple of other firms, but given your persistence with Andrew it was a very natural decision to say yes we're going to go with Roscoe and you guys obviously rolled out the red carpet for us when we came and we felt very loved and welcome and so I just wanted to say that little story because it's kudos to you and your persistence um, probably back to the days of throwing that weed whacker in the in the field to to getting back up and saying I'm not going to lose this sale and knowing that's a long game Um, so I just wanted to say that before we get into the sort of the best practices but um, yeah any comments on that? I'm a big relationship person and, and I, I
0: pride myself on, on hopefully creating good relationships and, and long standing relationships and, and being liked and respected in, in the, in the field. Um, not because I think I'm a nice guy, because I think I can add value to right. whatever business relationship it is, or even personal relationships. Right. But, um, uh, a broker in, in San Antonio had said, Hey, these guys are, have, I've been poking around town and, um, they just bought a couple of deals and I, you know, once you bought a deal, it's too late. Right. So i my whole mindset was, okay, well, let me just meet with Andrew. He's local. Right. Cause a lot of, a lot of owners that we manage for aren't necessarily in Austin. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're out of state. Um, so, uh, it's easy if there's somebody that is an active buyer or somebody that wants to buy that is, is in, in the city where I live to, to get a lunch or a beer or play golf or whatever it is. Right. right. And, I I, I think it might've been, I don't know, April, May, June of 2017 that, that I got wind of and finally met with Andrew and, and basically, you know, hit it off with him. Well, Well, you know, I think I did at least right. I I like hit it off there, but I might not have. Right. But polite persistence is something that I think it is. Right. Yep. Um, but, um, long story short, you know, I kept offering to help underwrite properties with them and, and, and eventually met you and, 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 um, just basically said, look, if there's ever anything we can do, if there's anyone that that stubs their toe, that's your current, you know, your current management provider, you know, let me just take a look at something with you. And, and it finally just, you know, it hit, I was actually looking through some emails earlier and I think it was June of 18 that we kind of started a conversation and then kind of took over our first, I think we took over four properties at once with you guys. That's it. Yep. Um, In January of 18, um, and thankfully, I mean, wow. I mean, a testament to y'all's, um, um, leadership and, 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 acquisition ability. Um, I mean, we now manage eight properties for you guys. Right. Um, and, and, and hopefully we'll. ride, you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, and look, a relationship as a management provider, right? We're, we're a vendor that has a 30 day opportunity, right? Every 30 days we've got to keep the business. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think that, you know, kind of leading into the best practice side of things on the question is, you know, the people that we hire and, and, and really the folks that we, um, or how we interact from, you know, even starting with me at at, at the business development side of things, right. Um, down to the, the regional vice presidents and regional managers that get involved with the, on the, got involved with you guys on the front end to earn your trust. Right. Um, but then the first property we took over second, third, fourth, and now up to eight is, is the team that we build around. Right. So, to, to kind of go into best practice. I think there there's, there's so many different things that, that management companies can do, um, to talk about best practice, but really at the end of the day, and I've had so many people say, Max, thanks for your persistence. But like, I need to know, I need to talk to the person that's going to be managing my property, like Mm -hmm. literally on the ground managing the property. And so the people, um, you know, we, we say the people behind the properties, it's one of our slogans. and, And that is true. The people, Um, in the business that are in the trenches day in and day out uh, are the most important asset of any management company. Um, That is from the porter to the manager and then furthermore to the folks that oversee from the the corporate office and then all the support departments that management companies have and that we have are imperative to our success, right? Because look, owners can... uh, buy a deal and maybe it's a bad buy at the the wrong time, but there's still operations that have to be done and done well. Right. Um, and so really I, if, if I highlight anything on best practice, it's the people, um, not to mention, you know, being forward thinking and, and technology forward and, and keeping up with the trends and, and using, um, you know, business intelligence, um, and data analytics to understand, you know, what are trends look like for certain properties or why are certain things, and the sub market turning poorly. Um, but you know, marketing department practices with digital spins and, 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 strong SEO presence are huge for, um, you know, the whole picture to come together. Right. right, right. Um, there's, you know, I think we have, I don't know, a thousand employees now, wow. With the bulk of those being, um, the on site uh, folks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's, the one piece of the puzzle um, that, that creates the entire puzzle, um, you know, makes everything come together. And the biggest factor of all that puzzle is the people.
1: Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And for those people listening out there, you know, you can underwrite and you need to underwrite well. And and coming into pre COVID there was pretty frothy um, times and cap rates were really compressed and, and that is, you know, can cause pain on the operation side when you take over an asset, but really how you get out of the gates, is determined upon how well the bum in the seat is on the property. And if you're doing a large value-add rehab, controlling that process is really important. If you get out of the starting blocks, you stumble, it's very hard to catch up, right? And you spend a lot of time. And we've had, you know, not to your fault at Roscoe, but just to the quality of the market of which you're trying to pull good talent from is tough, right? And, you know, the differences between San Antonio and Austin, there's there's nuances to that. And it really comes down to the people who are in those key regional management positions, um, understanding and, and creating teams around them that is to support the vision of which, you know, we as owners want it to happen. And and there's stumbling all the time. Like we're always learning. I'm learning as a, as a new owner. You guys are learning as you grow. But it's really important, that team aspect. And I, I, I can't drum that home enough that there will be challenges uh, on assets. Let's not, let's not lie. But having the right people in place to, to manage those challenges and making sure your North Star is to build the best team possible. People are engaged. People feel like they own the asset. Because that's probably one of the hardest things from a, an owner's point of view is making the on-site managers feel like they own the asset, right? So how do I empower them on a weekly call or a monthly call or whatever to take ownership of it and it's their baby? And that's been a lesson for me to have to learn to not be too overpowering and not be too, you know, coming down like, oh, I'm an owner and this didn't go right, you know, whatever it might be. I'm, I'm saying the negative stuff, but I'm saying it from a point of view that when you're paying someone fifty dollars to $70,000 a year, depending on the asset, to manage a forty dollars or $50 million asset, it's to have to, you got to try and find that right person to think the way that owners want to think. And I think Roscoe does a very good job at recruiting and pulling in the right team members in order to, you know, for me as an owner to feel satisfied that that is being, that box is being ticked and ticked well. Right. Well, and in the best practice, if you think about it from kind of the high
0: level side of thing, right? So um, one of the biggest things we we like to do when it's a new client or a new opportunity with a new person is, is to really understand the client. So, who is Wildhorn? Who's right. Reed? Who's Andrew? Um, how are they as people? Are they good to work with? Are they not good to work with? Are they realistic? Are they unrealistic? Right. right, and, right. and what I'm getting at is, is we want to do business as partners. Although we're a third party management company, we want to feel that we are in partnership. <clears throat> in partnership, excuse me. Um, and mainly because if we don't have our, our strategies aligned, right. Or our interests are aligned to where we, we, we have buy-in meaning we, we believe that the plan that you're trying to achieve is, is achievable. Um, then we could be successful together. Right. Because I'll be the first person to tell somebody, you're not going to get a $500 premium by spending $3,000 and putting vinyl plank flooring in, <laughs> and black appliances. Right. But um, um, you know, if you, if you start out the gate, um, by understanding and being, you know, partners per se, and that mindset, then, you know, in theory, all you can do is go up, right? right, right. Um, but working through the challenges together with our clients
1: is something that, you know, our operations team do day in day out, right? And it's super important to self reflect on my own ability as an asset manager, being new to the game as well, being the last five years, you know, making sure that I check myself at the door um, to make sure that I am bringing the right type of attitude when I interface with my managers on site, even though they're not my managers or they, they're they not my employees, but I have to sort of treat them like an employee. So we're all rowing in the same direction. We're all in the boat together and we're all going to that, to, you know, that same direction. Because sometimes it's hard to get in the boat together, right? And then everyone starts rowing in opposite directions. So as a good asset manager, I need to manage you guys and your team, but they need to also the effective communication and not just telling part of where we want to go like saying we need to this is where we're going with this asset and here's why and then people people feel like okay i now understand i now see the clear picture and i feel like and it all just comes down to people management at the end of the day you know and effective communication
0: yeah well i mean jason will tell you sometimes you know we're a management company but we're more of an hr business i mean think about it. you've got a thousand people right a thousand miles to feed a thousand personalities um so i mean it's it's a tremendous effort to make the dream come true per se on every single property whether it's a value add property a stabilized cash flowing deal um, or a brand new lease up you know it takes a lot of work it was sometimes little reward right but again
1: being in the management business can sometimes feel like a thankless job right you talk to most owners and most people i interview on this show the first thing they—they they aren't putting up their hand to say, "I want to sign up for property management," you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, but it's—it's it's definitely a, it is a thankless business, and it's something that you. But it needs to happen. It needs to be done well, and I think Roscoe is doing it doing such a great job. Here, here's
0: what I tell you know several people. I mean, it's a recession-proof business. Um, there's always going to be uh, properties to be or main, uh, units at, at apartment communities to be leased. There's people that are always going to rent an apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, Good, bad, or indifferent, great people, right? Um, but there's always going to be somebody that needs to change that air filter or fix that light bulb or or lease that apartment, right? And so um, it, the apartment business feeds a lot of people, right? No, it um, and it that, that there's reward in that, right? And 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 for me, if we're able to add you know ten thousand units a year or five thousand, whatever it may be, if we're growing, that means we're employing more people, um, and really hopefully changing people's lives for the better, right? Because, you know, they, people that were in an apartment, trust you with their home. Mm-hmm. Think about it. That's their home. Their biggest check they're at every month to live in a box, right? Um, with their decorations it's where their kids take their first steps. It's where they cook their family meals. And it's a very personal, if you really boil it down, it's a very personal experience, Um, and kind of best practice going back to it, the people that they first meet when they walk in the door, um, you know, the attitude of the person greeting them can change their entire day. Right. So it's, it's customer service. Number one, um, and interpersonal communication is huge in this business. And, um, you know, there is reward, right? We say it's a thankless job, right? But there's tons of reward. If you boil it down to think about the, I mean, think about it, we, we probably service at least 50, 60,000 residents in the 40,000 units that we manage. I mean, that's a huge impact. Um, And that's, of course, how many states? So, uh, we're headquartered in Austin, um, but we have regional offices in Houston, Dallas, and Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, Dallas-Fort Worth and San Antonio. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll be opening an office in the Phoenix MSA. um, And we we have a presence between Tampa and Orlando with plans to expand deeper into the Southeast. So, the Sunbelt markets, were you also Um, in colorado i thought yeah we 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 had gosh probably 1500 units in in um in the denver msa um for probably two years it was a a several class a lease ups that we start from start to finish Mm -hmm. um that unfortunately in today's business climate the merchant build mentality is is, um has been super successful um Mm -hmm. and so the our efforts in in growing denver uh, were unsuccessful per se, right, but right. There's, there's big plans to uh, make a big splash back into Denver soon.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to pivot here as we come towards the end of the show and just talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the Austin market or maybe even nationwide as we're coming out of COVID or quote unquote coming out of COVID because I know there's potential second wave here uh, in the Austin market as, uh, as the 10th of July here. I know all, all our leasing centers are closed uh, across our portfolio. So maybe do you have any sort of statistics that you can point to in terms of collections or in terms of uh, demand or in terms of just people moving to different markets around the country? given that you your headquarters is in Austin sure you know i'll, I'll go
0: high level for let's say texas right cuz right, the bulk right. of our you know 98% of the 40,000 units is in in the four major markets in texas but once all this hit i mean i remember march 13th was kind of the day for us to kind of sit back and go you know folks from the corporate offices go home you know our our executive team immediately got to work on on policies and procedures and do's and don'ts and has constantly been navigating the COVID protocols that are ever-changing. And, you know, I remember thinking, gosh, you know, I thought 80% of people would pay their rent in April, right? Mm-hmm. Because all the news came about, about you can't evict anybody and people are losing jobs and that sort of thing. And, and um, in April, we collected 98% of build rents in our entire portfolio. And I remember thinking, great, I'll be optimistic about May, we move into May, we collected ninety-eight percent again, um, and I kept pushing it a month. Right, I was talking to a potential client earlier today, and I said I'll be optimistic until December if we keep collecting <laughs> these rents like this. Right, but um, so ninety-eight percent April, ninety-eight percent May, June, um, we are uh, we, we 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 tickled ninety-eight percent, um, and into July right now, rent collections are super strong. And yeah, typically, all rents due by the fifth or you're, you're getting filed for eviction, but that, that, the, the policies have been very um, relaxed um, and, and having people go on payment plans. So, you know, in a couple of weeks, you know, in another 10 days or so we'll be able to really have a grip on where we think collections will be for July. Um, but I, I'm, I am personally um, encouraged by the strong um, rent collection data um, because people are prioritizing paying for their rent and and, and job or not, right? Um, the stimulus checks and unemployment, if you, if you had to go that route, but um, that's for collection. So, just generally speaking, if you look at the marketplace, um, my opinion, right? Rents are flat. Um, new leases at least, right? Um, and renewals. they'll continue to be
1: flat, right? You think in the next?
0: Yeah. I mean, any deal that anyone's buying, likely today, there's 0% rent growth in year one and maybe yep. two in year... in year two, and then maybe tick back up to three to four in year three, just God willing, we can all make, you know, we can make it through all this pandemic stuff. And, um, but the big focus is, is occupancy, right? So closing the back door per se on a stabilized Mm -hmm. property. Um, so not trying to hammer, um, renewals at, you know, five, 10% renewal. We're, we're really working to keep residents, um, if they're happy, you know, and want to stay there or don't have some type of life event that has occurred, we want to keep them. And so a lot of renewals are you're seeing flat. Um, There are some pockets um, where there's been deals that clients have purchased that there's been long-term ownership. They were occupancy focused to where we knew that there was some rent uh, uh, upward mobility. And so we have had some communities that have had um, very strong uh, new lease percentage increases over old leases. Um, But really it's flat. I will tell you that um, we made the decision to, to be very careful with our staff and our residents to close offices and and be very thoughtful about the, the cleanliness of the communal space and, or, you know, the amenity space and, and the offices and um, throughout, um, you know, this new normal, if you want to call it that we're still leasing apartments, Mm. Uh, whether it's virtually um, at one point we were doing it by appointment with masks. Um, Now we're doing, still doing virtual tours, still doing self-guided tours. Um, Online leasing is still huge for us. Um, We're still leasing apartments and deals that are in lease up. We're still getting 20 leases a month, right? Um, Right. That is in most cases, people's pro forma, right? And so um, I'm encouraged. Now I don't have a crystal ball to, to, to understand What's going to happen tomorrow, or what's going to happen in August? And and but, like I said, God willing, um, the, the 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 market continues to be steady,
1: uh, and and hopefully it doesn't slide backwards. Um, mm. But again, do, do you think there's going to be any cap rate expansion in potential sales coming here in Q three, Q four?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, cap rate expansion only deals with what's is based upon what price the seller will let a deal go. Right. Right. So I haven't seen any quote unquote, blood in the water, right. Or or heard of any major, um, you know, people losing their butts per se, but you know, there, if you talk to the brokerage community, you will say, they will tell you likely that there's somewhere three to 5% um, uh, in price reduction, um, whether it's a retrade or, or just, they're not hitting their strike. Um, But again, cap rate compression or cap rate expansion per se, I think really, if you boil it down to it, it's, if I'm a seller, like your portfolio what are you willing to sell your property at? Right. You know, are you able to hit your numbers by taking a 10% less, you know, value or do you have to hold on to pay your PREF and pay your investors back? Um, so I, I wish I could tell that your listeners out there that, you know, come into Austin, Texas, baby. It's it's <laughs> on fire, right? It's the best deals ever. There are deals being done still. I mean, yep. it's funny over the past 45 days, you know, that from March to, let's say, I don't know, just say March to June 1st or March mm-hmm. to May 15th or whatever it is, the, the, the blast, the email blast from the brokers were, there was nothing coming right, out. And then right. I think everyone was like, guys, let's test the market. Let's go to market. Right. And mm-hmm. let's get the interested parties. And so deals are, are still getting done. Um, the brokers are still calling for offers, I think, which is extremely encouraging. Um, you know, I went on a property tour uh, on Monday and, um, for a project that was, you know, just came out on the market and wore a mask and was very careful and that sort of thing. And it's encouraging to, to continue business as usual. Um, whatever um, that means, right. (laughs) Whatever that means. Right. And look, it's helpful for me as a people person to, I thrive on getting out of the house to, to go to work and, and, and try to make a difference and whether it's personally, professionally, whatever it is. And, and so I, I pray that, you know, the world will pick back up and we can all Get back
1: to work. And I think part of what we're seeing, you know, as well, and you would be seeing over 50,000 units, is unfortunately the lower demographics are being affected, right? We have had, you know, just to sort of be the other side of the coin, we have had skips and I know, you know, you know that. and um, But that's where people are getting scared or freaked out in the market. Whereas renters, they can't, they don't think they can afford rent. And some assets are sailing through this and we've got a couple of them and other assets are, you know, getting a bit of a stumbling block. And I feel like the longer it goes on for and the more uncertainty there is in the market or, you know, where where's the, the end of the tunnel, the more, maybe the ten- it goes back to people, you know, this business is people business. That tenants feel like they can't afford the rent, and they they get flighty, and they skip, or they have to move out with with friends and family. So, um, depends. I think depends on where you are in your MSA in your business plan, how you are turning your your, your rent roll, will determine really where how well or not your asset will. Cruise through COVID or not, and and I think in the long term, two years from now, we'll look back and laugh. But I think right now, as you're in the coal face and we're still quite co- close to the fire, um, it's it is sort of month to month, week to week at, at this point in time uh, until pretty, I think, pretty much the end of the year. I don't think, I don't, I can't see anything changing really.
0: Well, and I've 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 made this comment to several people. You know, you're an acquisitions guy. You underwrote it on a five to seven year hold most cases you're selling your three right mm-hmm. in a great market because you've already hit your returns right you know you're, you're going to be able to return money to your investors you know given that this this crisis or pandemic whatever you know people want to call it you might just have to extend your 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 underwrite by those two years because mm-hmm. you have the bandwidth or you have the um the the pro forma that states x y and z now if there's a, just a complete catastrophe for whatever reason then it'll be completely out of whack right but it's patience, right? And then a lot of us have, you know, in the business uh, have seen uh, just amazing success, you know, from people that are buying deals low and selling them extremely high or, or you know, there's deals that have traded three times this cycle already, right? Um, and it's still one of the longest cycles, right? 10 plus years. So let's hope we can all keep moving forward.
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, mate, we like to get to the end of the show and we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? You bet. Mate, what is daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? You know, um, I I used to
0: be a sleep in type guy and and my wife and I had a son uh, roughly 17 months ago. And so that's made me go to bed earlier and and get up early and and, and really trying to get to the gym a couple, three times a week or so, Um, but trying to reflect on how lucky we all are right um whether it's in family or or, or in, in our careers but just really practicing you know thankfulness mm-hmm. um and and staying realistic about where i am in my life and 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 where i want to go and and just really going back to the fact that happiness is key right mm-hmm. so just staying humble and 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 trying to do my best every day um for the people i work with and for the people that you know look up to me or rely on me
1: yeah, 100%. I think it's really important as we come through, particularly in these times, right, where so much uncertainty, having that quiet time in the morning to do a bit of self-reflection, a bit of gratitude, um, and, and being humble, um, I think, helps us mentally um, keep 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 charting these uncharted territories and waters and that we're currently going through right now. So I think that's uh, really, really awesome stuff. Uh, question number two is, who has been the most influential person in your career to date? You know, I have... I've
0: shaken a lot of hands, right? Um, and and, and I've, I feel like I've learned from so many different people along the way. Uh, you know, this will sound corny, but going back to growing up and, and having, you know, my parents instill in me a great work ethic and then meeting my wife, who's an extremely uh, passionate person who challenges me every day to be better and um, but from a work side of things, I mean, I've had many mentors. You know, Tim Clark gave me a chance at my first job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, held me on. You know, Stacy Hunt at GrayStar, who who really is the king of business development. Um, you know, in our in the multifamily industry, was an extreme um, benefit for me to, to to look at and to to learn from. Um, but really, now, I mean, Jason Berkowitz and Angela Goodenough and the team here at Roscoe, um, who have made me realize my worth and have have let me have my own bandwidth to stumble and fall, right, um, or to uh, see great success. Um, right. So I, I can credit many, many, many people, but those are just some of the few.
1: Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, question number three is what is the most influential tool in your business that you use on a daily basis? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a, a journal or a phone or it could be a piece of software that you just cannot handle your day without it. What is it? Well, I'll tell you lately, it's Zoom,
0: right? I mean, we're staring at each other right now, thousands of miles away from each other. But, um, you know, I, I think technology in general, uh, I mean, gosh, um, I'm old school and, and still use a, a scribble pad. But, you know, several members on my team use Salesforce to keep up with what's going on in our pipeline. But, you know, me being a um, face-to-face type person um, and thriving on having a coffee or a lunch or a beer, um, to get to know someone and create a relationship, um, is, 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 is how I feel. I, I get up and then do my day to day every day. But literally, I mean, zoom throughout this process has, has been the way that I can see people and, and read reactions to if I'm pitching business or, um, um, you know, even just giving an update on something. It, it's very hard to, um, understand, um, what the other person's receiving you're saying if you're just talking on the telephone
1: so. right 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 no I, I think zooms their stock price must be going through the roof right now everyone's, <laughs> yeah. everyone's using it my question number four is in one sentence what has been the biggest failure in your career what'd you learn from that failure sure um gosh i've, I've been working for
0: what 13 years now and and which is a, a, a tiny speck on the time spectrum of, of a career right so i I think, I think I've had thousands of failures, right? Whether it was not being the best at Excel and turning in a a poor report or um, uh, maybe not taking the advice of a mentor correctly um, or not training someone that reports to me effectively to where they're not growing. Right. Um, But I think even just failure and, and maybe, you know, Approaching something the wrong way in a pitch and maybe not winning the business that way I mean, there's so many failures. It's hard to point to one Right. I wish I could say this is the only time I've messed up and this is what happened Um, And it turned in my my life left versus right, right? I think that the failures that we all experience we might not even know it, right? Um, uh, What we failed at I think helped shape our you know, our our life and, and our careers
1: Lessons, right? Stumbling stones or failures are, are lessons. So, you yeah, know, I, I completely agree with that and we all will have them and we'll continue to have them as, as we grow and evolve as people, as humans, as leaders, as investors and all the, all the rest of it. So yeah, good answer. Mate, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Gosh, you can find me on every social media platform out there.
0: Uh, my cell phone is great. Um, uh, you can always get me there. 512-608-5419. Uh, my work email is max.reinbach. That's R-E-I-N-B as in Bravo, A-C-H at R-P as in Paul, M as in Max, living,
1: dot com. Awesome. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's episode. Uh, I think, you know, Having the, the art of the hustle and learning that from a young age is definitely something that I know you personally, and I know that you've worked really, really hard, um, and you're not afraid to roll up the sleeves and get it done. Also, I think the biggest thing I took away from you today is one, your humbleness, but two, your ability to look at this business in property management as a people business. It, you, you're helping so many people from employing, but also providing uh, shelter and a home for, you, you said nearly 50,000 people, which, is, which you seems like the juices flow within you to make you get up every day to go to work, to do that. And I think that's really admirable. And through that, all the lessons you've learned along the way to bring you to this point. And, and, and I think just, you know, being in the people business is tough and it can be sometimes thankless, but I know that you do it um, day in day out and it's like, you do it because it makes you tick and you do it because you love it. So I think there are some of the, the big things that I took away. Did I leave anything out? No. I mean, look, I, I'll be the first one to tell you that, that, um, you know, my passion
0: is getting the business and then I trust the team that, uh, has been built behind me, um, to operate the business and, and without me giving the trust up, right. And giving it to them, you know, I wouldn't be successful if they weren't successful. Um, and I truly believe that, um, that, um, if they continue to do what's right and continue to do uh, and operate in the correct way, then we can all be successful together. I truly believe in teamwork and, 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 been thankful to be blessed with where I am today.
1: 100%. Couldn't agree more. Well, my look, enjoy the rest of your week. And thank you so much for jumping on the show today. And we'll catch up very, very soon. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today, Reid. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Max and just his journey over the years coming to where he is today, being humble, being very self-aware. And as we grow through COVID and in the business of property management, being sometimes thankless uh, and understanding that it is very much a people-based business. If you do like this episode, please remember to reach out to Max at uh, max.reinbach at rpmliving.com. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because it's what we're all about here on this show. And if you do like this show, please jump over to iTunes and give it a five-star review. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.